0: You know, I I was thinking this morning, it's not in my notes, but I want to commend you for sticking with us in a day and age when a lot of people say, we love the New Testament, we love to do what we're told to do in the Word of God, but the Old Testament seems irrelevant to us and we don't know it, we kind of avoid it and stay away from it. Uh, I just want to remind you the purpose of this series, and my hope is to equip you for a lifetime of obedience that comes out of the context of applying what God tells us to do. Because let, let me explain something. An improper interpretation results in an improper application, so you're really not applying what God has asked you to do, correct? Correct. So when you understand the context of something, then I can have a better opportunity to interpret that properly, which gives me an opportunity to apply it correctly. And so the goal of this series is really to help us understand the big picture and story of what God is doing so we can get the Bible in context so we don't just start with the side streets, as we said, and kind of pull something out of context without understanding where I'm at. And as we look at that, then we can more accurately apply what God calls us to do to his glory. So I just want to remind you why we're doing this, because we're going to look at a bunch of passages this morning. You probably don't hear preached often. You probably don't have in your quiet time Zechariah, Deuteronomy, stuff like that. And you're going, what? You know, well, you might even say, where is that in the Bible? The good news is every Bible has an index in it, so uh, you will be able to find it. But you know, we're doing a series called People of Promise. And we're looking at the promises that God has joyfully bound himself to do by means of covenant. And if you remember, and Pete, before you put this up, if you remember the storyline, we learned in the Abrahamic covenant, there's five primary promises that drive the story of the Bible. That God has covenanted himself with Abraham that God himself will do independent of Abraham. How many of you remember what those five promises are? Not many. Uh, We put it on a PowerPoint for that reason. He that has ears to let him hear. You do have phones to take picture of this and I'd encourage you to Um, be able to write this down on the front of your Bible. Because you know what? This drives the story of the Bible. You want to keep things in context? I want to understand the Old Testament. I get lost in there. These five promises that God made with Abraham are the key to the story of the Bible. And they're not only the Old Testament, but they're yet future. It's the key to the prophecy that we'll see yet to be fulfilled in the future. So here's the five promises. A land, that's actual soil, property that God is gonna give to his people. A seed, this is actually people, a nation of people, a line of people that come from the family of Abraham. Blessing, this is God himself binding himself to do good and to benefit his people. In your seed all the nations will be blessed. That means that there's going to be one coming from the line of Abraham, a particular seed, who's going to be the instrument through whom God is going to bless all the nations. Now, we know that's Jesus. And we see so much in the story of the Bible talking about this coming of Jesus, which the New Testament fulfills. If we want to understand the New Testament, we need to understand the foundation that talks about him. And then finally, we see that God will be their God, an overriding theme of really all the covenants. And as we see through the Bible, God working out the story of him being the God of his people. So this is the story of the Bible. We learned last week, and before you put this up, Pete, there's a principle by which God said he's going to operate Uh, his relationship with the children of Israel. I may remember what that is. We're going to put it up on a PowerPoint again. Hopefully you get this down because if you remember those five promises and this principle, you can go ahead and put it up, Pete. You really got the heart of the Old Testament and the ability really even to understand the prophets. Remember this? If you obey me then I will bless you. If you disobey me, then I will curse you or discipline you or bring trouble into your life. And then finally, if you repent, then I will restore you to blessing. And when you put those two together, as the story of those promises are going, and then we see this principle working when Israel's obeying them, God, things are going well. When he, they disobey him, it's not going as well. But when they repent, God restores them to the place of blessing. You put those two together, you understand the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns of the story of the Old Testament. But when we think big picture now, let's think big picture in the Bible, we're trying to tell the story. This leaves Israel in a dilemma. Bottom line is this. God said, if you disobey, I will curse you or bring trouble. And we learned last week the ultimate discipline would be God expelling his people from the land and scattering them throughout the nations. Well, after years of disobedience and ultimately rejecting the Messiah, Jesus himself, the promised seed who was going to come, Israel in 70 AD once again under the under Rome and under General Titus was expelled from the land and scattered throughout all the nations and it's been like that for literally hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of years until 1948 when some Jews began to return to the land and so we we have, Jews returning to the land, and we've actually had some Jews coming to Jesus as the Messiah. But as a nation, distinction between a person and nation, I'm an individual, we together are the church, right? So talking about not individual Jews, but speaking of Israel as a nation, as a people, they're still in the state of disobedience and unrepentant and have rejected the Messiah. So here's the dilemma. God said, if you obey me, I'll bless you. (laughs) This is the principle we dealt with Israel with. And what happened? They disobeyed him, they rejected the Messiah, scattered throughout the world, and still in a state of disobedience. So this is the question I want to answer today. Is God done with Israel as a nation? Has God replaced Israel with the church in his program? That's the question we're gonna answer this morning. And if you wanna understand the big picture of the scripture, it's important to understand the answer to this question. Is God done with Israel as a nation? Not individual Jews who trust Christ, but as a nation, is he done, and has he replaced them with the church now in his program? And to answer this question, we're gonna to have to look at the most overlooked verse in the entire covenant program, which has caused people to overlook a key covenant in God's program. And in this covenant, God is going to guarantee that he himself, now let me, let me say that again, this is the heart of the covenant. God is gonna guarantee that he himself will bring about the repentance and the obedience that is necessary for Israel to be able to be in blessings in the land. That's what this is all about. Let's look at that in Scripture. Kind of gave you the big picture of setting this up. Let's look at this in Scripture. Um, Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now many people think that the book of Deuteronomy is a restating of the Mosaic Covenant. Let me tell you what, we're gonna see this morning that's not totally true. Yes, it does restate the laws that were given in Leviticus and Exodus to Israel in Deuteronomy. It restates the principle, if you obey me, I will bless you, if you disobey me, I'll curse you. And if you repent, I'll restore you to blessing. That part is true. But what we're going to see here is that God gives a whole different, a whole nother, another covenant to Israel in Deuteronomy besides the one with Moses. And it's one that he himself guarantees that he will work. Now, Deuteronomy 5, this is where they're at. If you remember the book of Deuteronomy, you're familiar with it. Forty years earlier, um, they were basically at Mount Sinai. That's where the Mosaic Covenant was given. And that they were a people at that time that just were delivered out of the bondage of Egypt. They came to Mount Sinai. They were given the Mosaic Covenant, which we talked about last week. And then we saw because of their unbelief, they didn't enter into the land, but they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And now here they are again, right on the edge of the land. The Jordan River is the only thing is separating them from being into the land. They're in the desert of Moab, ready to enter into the land 40 years later. And in chapter 5, looking at verse, starting in verse 26. He's reviewing with them about the time he gave them the Mosaic Covenant 40 years earlier. And this is what he says. Let me say, this is is what Moses, the author of Deuteronomy is repeating for them what the people said and how God responded. For the people said to Moses in verse 26 of Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 5, For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Mount Sinai, remember that? So what they said to Moses is, Moses, you go near and hear all that the Lord God says. Then speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you, and we will hear, and we will do it. And this is what it says about God's response. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. You know what? It is great. They are right. They need to hear everything I say and do it. I commend them for what they say. But listen to what God says in verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Did you catch that? (laughs) We'll do whatever you want, God. Tell us. Moses, go find out from God what he wants us to do. Come back and tell us. Whatever he tells us, we're going to do all of it. God says, that's a great response. That should be our response. But here's the problem. They didn't have a heart to do them. And as I was reviewing this this morning, talk about a point of worship and gratitude, because guess what? God has given us a heart to obey and fear the Lord. The only reason you and I are able to obey God today and to worship Him and fear Him is because God has given us a new heart and placed His Holy Spirit in our heart. That's the difference between us and Israel. We have commands, they had commands. The only reason we can keep them now is because God has given us a new heart and placed his Holy Spirit. You'll hear more about that in a couple weeks when we hear the new covenant. But the problem with Israel, they had the right intentions. We want to obey you, God, but they didn't have the heart to do it. So we go on to chapter 6 through 26 and reviews the laws with them. We learned last week there's civil laws, there's moral laws, there's ceremonial laws that are given. And then you get to chapter 27, and Moses is charging the people to obey what God has told them to do. Then in chapter 28, he reviews the principle that we learned last week in Leviticus 26, If you obey me, then I will bless you. If you disobey me, then I'll curse you. If you repent, I'll restore you to blessing. And then we come to chapter 29. I want you to turn there because we're going to look at the most overlooked verse in in the covenant program, which causes people to overlook this very covenant we're going to look at today. Chapter 29 of Deuteronomy. Listen to this. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab. Besides, key word. In addition to, another, one other than, besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. So what God is saying right here, and many people, you miss that one little word, observations, the key to proper interpretation, which is the key to proper application. That one little word is God is making another covenant with them in the book of Deuteronomy besides the one he made 40 years before when they were at Mount Sinai. Now look it down at down to verse 10. We're going to see. You stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the alien who is within your camps, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into the covenant which the Lord your God and into his oath which the Lord your God is making with you today. A brand new covenant, different than the Mosaic covenant, separate than that, in addition to it, that God is making that day with the new generation of Israel. Why? In order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God. Well, we heard that one before, haven't we? One of the key promises in the Bible, that they would be his people and God will be their God. And that uh, God wants to establish with them today that just as he spoke to you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Establish means this, to bring it about, to cause it to happen. You know, he made the covenant with Abraham. He reconfirmed that covenant with Jacob and Isaac. But he wants to carry it out and bring it about with his people, with the descendants of Abraham. And so here's the tension again. Here we have it. God made a promise to Abraham that was unconditional. I'm going to do this irregardless, apart from you, Abraham. Then he laid down the principle, if you obey me, I'll bless you. But here's the problem. Israel does not, did not have the heart to obey the Lord, thus separating them from the blessings that God had promised to them. But here in Deuteronomy, we're going to see this. In spite of Israel's disobedience and rejection of the Messiah, that later on took place. God is going to make a covenant which is an unconditional covenant. George taught us about that. It's one that God imposes upon Himself, one that He's going to carry out, that's not dependent upon the behavior of Israel, even though He's making it with Israel. He's making a covenant now that He's going to carry carry out. And what we're going to see God do here is he's going to bring them to the place that he can fulfill the covenant he made with Abraham by making them the kind of people that he can bless. So let's take a look at this covenant. Uh, you know what? Let me, let me do this first. I think this is important. If, turn to Ezekiel 36. This really is so important to understand as we look at this. So important to understand, because if we're going to answer the question, has God rejected Israel from his program and replaced them with the church because of their disobedience and the rejection of the Messiah? This passage is crucial. Chapter 36, verse 19. I hope you're there. I will not go into the details of the New Covenant here, but this is the introduction to the New Covenant. And he says this in verse 19. And you know this because you know the principle by which God was going to deal with Israel. Verse 19, also, I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the lands according to their ways and their deeds. I judged them. That's what God said he was going to do, right? That was the principle. Disobey me. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to to, uh, bring trouble in your life. And the ultimate discipline, you'll be expelled from the land and to scatter throughout the nation. So that's the case. Then in verse 20, he said this. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name. Because it was said to them, these are the people of the Lord yet they've come out of his land. You see that? here? You talk Abrahamic covenant, how's it fit, you know, these are God's people. They're supposed to be in God's land and blessing. And they're looking to say, wait a minute. And this is how God's name is profaned by Israel, is that you are God's people and God covenant that he was gonna keep you in the land, and now you guys are outside of the land. This is an embarrassment to God in a sense. But God said this in verse 21, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel has is profaned among the nations where they went. By the way, we know that Israel went to Assyria. Judah went to Babylon, a nation. This is the time they're scattered among the nations, which happens to be now. Then verse 22, he says, As therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, plural. Gather you from all the lands, plural, and bring you into your own land. God says he's going to vindicate the holiness of his name by fulfilling what he said he's going to do. In spite of Israel's disobedience. Not because of. you You, you find what I'm saying? See, not, they're, they, they're in a state of disobedience when God's going to do this, but He's going to do it for the sake of His own name and glory. So now I'll turn back to Deuteronomy 30 and you'll see why this was key for this passage. In Deuteronomy 30, you hear a lot about the land. You're going to see a condition here. But the condition's not a if condition. It's a when condition. It's when something is going to happen. It's not if it happens. It's not conditional on something. And finally, we'll see this covenant's going to take place when Israel is expelled from the land and scattered among the nations, plural. So look at this in Deuteronomy 30. Let's start with that. So it shall be. When all of these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you. Let me stop there. This word when is a timing element, it's a time what's going to happen. I, I looked at, I, I wanted to make sure, I, I had to say, Lord, I got to make sure that I got this right. And it really, I'm not. The word in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, for if you, is a whole different word than this one. This is the word when in Hebrew which talks about a timing element. So God is saying, when you're in this place, this is what I'm going to do. Not if you do this. You following me? So this is God's guarantee to Israel that even when they're in the place of disobedience and the place scattered throughout the lands, and they call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I commanded you, and you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity. There's repentance. Here they are. They're in the lands. They're in disobedience. They recall to mind, well, we've been disobeying God, so we're going to return to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He restores them to blessing. And so we see the first thing is going to happen is repentance is going to happen to Israel. He's saying, when you do this, when you recall these to mind, not if you, but when you recall these to mind, and when you return to the Lord to obey him with all your heart, then in verse 3, the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcast at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. The second thing we see, God himself bringing back his people from all the nations in the world where they've been scattered. First of all, God's going to bring about repentance, then God's going to regather them. And then in verse 3, we see him bring them back to the land. Then the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. The same land that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We saw that in Genesis. And you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. So we see a repentance, a regathering, a restoration to the land, Now we're gonna see that Israel is gonna be regenerated. Verse six, moreover, and remember the emphasis here. You keep see it over and over again. The Lord your God will. We see this over and over. The Lord your God will regather you. The Lord your God will bring you here. The Lord your God will do this. This is God doing something for Israel, not Israel doing something for God. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. What was Israel's problem? It was a heart problem. What's God going to do? He's going to fix their heart. He's going to circumcise their heart and the heart of their descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you might live. And again, look down at verse 8. And you shall again obey the Lord. God's going to take care of Israel's problem, which is they didn't have the heart to fear God and to obey Him. But God Himself is going to circumcise their heart so that they will obey Him. Verse 7, the Lord your God will. God's going to inflict all these curses that I've had on you, on your enemies, and on those who hate you, who persecute you. Be God's judgment upon the nations. And then finally we see in verse 9, the sixth thing this tells us, then the Lord God will prosper you abundantly, bless you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your cattle, in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. Now here's, a, here's one I want you to look real close. Listen close. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in the book of the law. He said, Wait a minute, there's the word if. How many of you have the ESV Bible? What's it say? Somebody say it real loud. What's the first word there? When. You know, some guys, like, this is where I would say, Wait a minute, God, is this conditional or not? The Hebrew word is the same word as in verse one, when, a timing thing. So he's really saying when you obey the Lord and keep his commands. The Young's literal translation says, for thou does hearken to the voice of the Lord. There's a little note in the uh, New American Standard, it has a little number, in it, it says for you will. This is not a condition. You know, and this is where theology sometimes impacts interpretation because those who were in uh, Translating it for the New American Standard at that time, read a theology into that. But if you took what the Hebrew word says, it's when you're obeying the Lord. These are all promises of what God's going to do for Israel at the time when they're scattered throughout the nation in a place of disobedience and rejecting the Messiah. Let me see where I'm at. So, here's the question, when is that going to happen? Thanks to Joel Brassfield again, I hope you can see this chart in an overhead from where you're sitting. This one, it's worthy of a picture because it summarizes all the covenants, and um, when the promises were made and when the promises will be fulfilled. The Abrahamic covenant, the land seed, the blessing, the Deuteronomic covenant is God's guarantee to Israel that they will go back to the land after being scattered. The Davidic covenant, which we'll see next week, talks about the seed, this one particular one who's coming to be the king and bless all the nations of the, uh, of the earth. The new blessing is talking or the New Covenant talks about the blessing which God's going to bring to Israel, which the church enters in through through Jesus Christ. and the Mosaic we saw last up until the cross. We saw that last week. But what you see is all of these converging together at the return of the Lord when He sets up His millennial kingdom for a thousand years here on Earth. And that's when these promises will be fulfilled. When all these land promises, these seed promises, the blessing promises will be fulfilled. So you see them converging together, and then they will continue on throughout eternity. It's a great image of how that works. But I want to take you again to a passage you probably haven't seen many times. Turn to Zechariah 12. Helps us see this in scripture, not just the chart that Joel and I made. This puts so much together what we heard so far. Zechariah 12, 13 and 14 explains so much about the return of Jesus and what's gonna happen. We're gonna start in verse nine because um, just I don't have time to do the whole chapter. But in the context, all the world has gathered together against Israel and against Jerusalem to destroy them. By the way, if you like reading the book of Revelation, that's what chapter 16 through 19 teaches us, that all the kings and the nations of the world come together to make war with the Lamb and and with his saints. And so here we have on the earthly view of it, what's going on, they're coming together against Israel. The heavenly view, Revelation tells us, is really a battle against Jesus himself, the Messiah. And on the earthly level, we see this war going on between the nations. And again, you go to Revelation, we see demons have convinced the kings to come together to give their power to make war against the Lamb. And so here we have in verse 9, and in that day, I will, here's God again, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. We see that in Revelation 19. When was that? At the return of Jesus. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. Who did they pierce? Jesus. You see this right here in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel is going to look upon Jesus as his return, and they're going to recognize, we crucified the Messiah. And their response at that time will be this. And by the way, notice this. Grace precedes repentance. God will pour out his spirit of grace and supplication so that they'll mourn when they look upon Jesus. We sometimes beat up people trying to get them to repent. Our role is to proclaim the truth and love and let the Spirit of God convince people by giving them the grace to repent. And that's what's gonna happen here. And they're gonna mourn for Jesus as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day, what day? In that day when Jesus returns. Read about Revelation 19 to defeat the nations of the world. There'll be a great morning in Jerusalem, like the morning of woe. I should have prepared for that word. We'll go on to chapter, verse 12. The land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimites by itself and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. Do you know what's going on here? This is not individual Jews being saved like today. This is the nation of Israel repenting when they see the Messiah return. And what does chapter 13 verse 1 say? In that day, what day? In that day when they're all gathered against that, Jesus returns, Israel will repent. In that day a fountain will be open for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity it's forgiveness. God's going to forgive them. We will hear more about this in the New Covenant in a few weeks. So what we see here is God is guaranteeing, I'm going to bring about the repentance of the nation of Israel that's necessary for me in order to bless them. And Romans 11 tells us why it hasn't happened yet. Turn to Romans 11. We're getting near the end. Why has this not happened yet? We'll look at this chapter fuller later in the series. Romans 11, verse 25. Romans 9 through 11 is all about God's dealing with Israel. Uh, Great chapters to learn. But as he's summing this up, he comes to verse 25 in Romans 11. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. A partial hardening. Now people say, well, aren't Jews getting saved? Yeah. There's a remnant that is still existing today. That's what Romans 9 through 11 teaches us. So there are a remnant of Jews. It's a partial hardening that has happened until. That's a time factor again, a partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I'm a Gentile. I'm a non Jew. But what this is, is the time, as Jesus called it, the time of the Gentiles. And this is when God is dealing with people who are not part of Israel, but are the what we call the church today, which are some individual Jews and Gentiles who have believed in Jesus as the Messiah and put their trust in him. And so there's been a partial hardening uh, that has happened to Israel until the fullness of time. And so all Israel will be saved. That's a national one. <laughs> Moving from a remnant to a national saving and Israel again being at the center of what God is doing in this program. And all of Israel will be saved just as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant. With them. With who? With Israel. When I take away their, Israel's sins. It's the new covenant. When does the new covenant have? Well, it's going to be when they, we saw when they repent at the return of Jesus, and then they'll be forgiven. And here we see that there's a time of the Gentiles that, that after that happens, all of Israel will be saved. And we'll learn more about that in weeks to come, what that word all means right there. But the nation of Israel is going to return to Jesus. And we see that at the time of Jesus' return, God gives Israel repentance, God forgives them, God gives them a new heart, and he places his Holy Spirit inside of that heart. And by the way, we got to enter into that through Jesus, we as the church, and they're gonna have a heart to obey. Thus God will be able to bless Israel in the state of obedience and this is all yet future when Jesus returns. No, God's not done with Israel as a nation. And the church has not replaced Israel, but praise God, we get blessed along with them. We're grafted into these same promises with them. And, um, but to say that Israel's done and out of the program is not accurate. To recognize that The church in Israel, once again, is going to enter into that. And we're going to have a big role. Israel is going to have a big role. But God is going to be faithful to the promises he made to Abraham to cause his people to be in the land in a place of blessing where he'll be his God. That's what's going to happen. And we, because of the seed of Abraham, in whom all the nations will be blessed. Jesus, we get to enter into those same promises. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to repent. What does repent mean? We learned about that in Deuteronomy. This is what Jesus had in mind when he came to Israel. This is what every Israelite would have understood when Jesus and John the Baptist came and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand when you recall your situation and you turn back to God. And if you don't know Jesus, I wanna, I wanna, maybe you're not aware of what God has said about you and what he said about Jesus. But you and me are born dead in our sins. We are separated from God. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all again. Everybody's sin, we've fallen short of God's glory. None of us live up to the standard of what God has called us to, which happens to be lived out in Jesus, who is the glory of God. Every one of us is unlike Jesus and falls short of even coming close to him. If you agree with that, then you say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Also, Isaiah says, every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've gone to our own way. That's the other side of sin. One is falling short. The other one is living my own life, my own way, Apart from God. And your need today is to turn to Jesus in faith. In that section in Romans 9,10 and 11. By the way, I forgot to tell you what Jesus, what it says, Jesus happens to be holy. Jesus happens to be perfect. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is the glory of God. and it happens to be the penalty of sin is death. So you and I are worthy of death. Jesus, as our substitute, took our death for us and paid the price for our sins. So that whoever will believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. In that Mr. Romans, it says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's the same God for the, for the Gentiles, the Greeks, and the Jews. I want to invite you this morning. Repent. What's it mean? Change my mind about who I am and who Jesus is. The Hebrew word for repent happens to be turn. The Greek word is a change of mind. So I change my mind about myself. I say, yeah, I'm a sinner. And I change my mind about Jesus. Yes, he's the Savior. So I turn to him. And I place my faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for me. And God in his promise and his faithfulness in exchange forgives our sin and lets us enter into all these blessings and gifts that he gives to us. I'll call you today, if you don't know Jesus, we're going to have people up here afterwards say, man, I don't get it. Encourage you to come up here and say, man, I don't know Jesus. Help me understand that. And turn to Jesus and call on him to save you. And I want to speak to believers just for a second. There's some believers who are walking just like the world. What does that mean? My standards and my practices are no different than a world that has no regard or consideration for God's standards and God's practices. If you looked at my life, I look no different than the rest of the world. I think like them, I act like them, I talk like them. And you need to repent if you're a believer here today. You need to call to mind, recall. You know, what God has said about me and who I am as a new creature in Christ and how he's called me to live my life. You need to recall that and you need to return back You need to confess. You need to admit. You need to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I've been living my life totally like those who don't know you. And call upon Jesus for the grace to live the person you really are. And there may be some today as believers that maybe there's just an area in our life. Maybe there's an area in our life. I was praying about this this morning on the way in. There's an area I've been struggling with, and I'm like, Lord, this isn't just I did it yesterday. This is a pattern in my life. This is something that happens over and over again. Some of us as believers have areas of our life that are out of sync with who Jesus has called us to be. And I love what Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says. So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, here's obedience, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Four. Because we're supposed to work out this salvation in our lives. We're to obey him, not just when the bosses around, Paul would have been their boss kind of like then, he's like kind of the key apostle, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence when nobody's looking. Work out yourself, how? For it is God who is at work in you. That's the hope of Israel in the future. That's the hope of us that we've entered into in the new covenant because we know Jesus that right now he will work in you and me and bring about both the will, the desire, the choosing, and the work for his good pleasure. It's God bringing about my life and your life. It's not because I I did enough work on it and I followed all the steps and I really committed and I really tried and I really meant it. No, it's because I turned to Jesus, said, Jesus, you're my only hope. I need you to bring about obedience in my life that only you can do. And there may be somebody here today that has an area of their life that's in disobedience to the Lord, that it has become a stronghold in your life. It's got you. Brothers and sisters, the good news is God lives in our heart by means of the Holy Spirit. And that's because of a covenant promise. And that Spirit's work is to cause us to walk in God's ways and be careful to do that. So I want to give you some time right now to quietly reflect before the Lord. Where are you at and what do you need from Jesus? and invite him, invite him. Open up your heart, say, Jesus, hold nothing back. Go to work. Do your thing. Bring about in me both the desire and the ability to obey you. Take these moments to consider that.